Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. If you've got a Bible, if you would open up to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, it's a a, a two-part book, a two-part letter, two letters that are tucked right nicely towards the back of the epistles, and um, Thessalonians, we're going to begin a journey through Thessalonians, and we're, we're calling it Faithful to the End. Uh, The Apostle Paul's letters to those in Thessalonica um, was a letter of an encouraging word to them, a reminder of who they were, of what they were doing, and of the reasons why. And and several times throughout the letters, there's a harmonious thought, and that thought is that you are standing and you need to continue looking forward to there is one who is coming. I, I feel like it was an apt word and an apt part for us as believers today that we would be reminded that we are not so much different from believers thousands of years ago that we would be reminded that there is one coming, his name is Jesus, and that we were called to stand, amen? Amen. So Thessalonians, uh, this is the first part. I would just simply say a people touched by God is what I would encapsulate this. I want to give you a little background here on the letter um, to those in Thessalonica. This is a The first letter is written by the Apostle Paul while he was with Silas and Timothy. It was originally written in the Greek, just so you know. It was written written somewhere between 53 and 55 AD. This is is important because this letter to the Thessalonians was, was probably one of the first letters that was written in the New Testament church period. So so you could just think about this, that this is one of the first letters that we see written to the early church. Just to give you a paradigm here, uh, the New Testament starts with Matthew, but Matthew was written, the book of Matthew was written somewhere about 14 to 15 years later than the first letter of to the Thessalonians, just to give you some, these aren't exact years, but this is kind of a, a timeline of, of the early church. Uh, it was written from Corinth while Paul was there doing some work, <clears throat> and uh, the, the city uh, that this church is in, in Thessalonica, was, was a hub, a hub of, of highways of sorts, a hub of trade routes, a hub of, of travel, so you could say that right here, this church that was established then was was in a place that was very important that 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 was um, significant in that it had the ability to reach many nations, many places, and many people. A lot of people would have traveled through this area. Uh, in fact, it's not like today where many uh, nation states have very tight borders and boundaries and and checkpoints. Um, back then, the trade routes and the, 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 the highways that would have gone, there was no need uh, in the most of parts of the world to pull out your passport to show citizenship. You were just a traveler and a sojourner on the highway, or you had a purpose and you were going to trade, or you, 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 could, you could travel and move, um, taking great care where there was conflict and who was ruling and what, and maybe you would divert and move around. But, but right here in this city, 
was a very important place in the New Testament church where the church was being established. First Thessalonians, it's my desire just to walk you through. Uh, I pray this morning that even as we walk through First Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, that it's not dry, but it's life-filled and that there would be some application to it in your life. Amen? Amen. So if you would journey with me, I want to just start out reading First Thessalonians chapter 1. Verses 1 through 10, if you've got a Bible or electronic device, you can follow along. It says, Paul, Silvanius, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father of the Lord in Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God our Before our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serving the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Everybody say, wow. wow. Thank you, Lord. Right here in this first letter to this church, the Apostle Paul unpacks uh, roughly uh, more than nine or ten theological doctrines in several uh, through this letter. Right here, he opens up the, the, the writing to the early churches with statements and, and ideas that, that are built upon in letters that he's to write later that he makes reference to uh, unity and works and how things happen in his early, in, in this letter. It's almost as though that as he sits down to, to begin to, to write letters to to the believers, all the things that have been put into him over the years as, as a Jew among Jews, as, as one who has studied the written word, as one who has heard the, 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 the arguments and, and the lectures and the stories that it's all been put into him. And then his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus that radically transformed who he was and the mission that his life was on now begins to be compiled and poured out. Not just in word as he was talking to other, to other people, but, but he begins to lay out his, his heart to the church that was established in Thessalonica, well, let's talk about who these people that he was talking to or writing to were. Let's talk about some of uh, the context and, and just the attributes about the church. Well, he first lays out that greetings to the church. The church is a reference, if you could just uh, break that word out, it means a people called out or the elect. Greetings to the chosen. Greetings to the chosen. Greetings to the one 
that Jesus has chosen. Greetings to the ones that God has elected to move in. Think about this term. Think about this. For those who have encountered Jesus as their Lord and Savior, for those who have made a decision to, to, to give their life and accept the work that's been done through Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul is saying, you have been chosen. You are elect of God. So, 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 so think about this. It isn't that one day you decided to respond to something, a message that you heard, words that you read on paper. It's that one day you became aware of a revelation that was made to you, which was the love of God that was moving towards you, a way that was made for you. It's all about God all the time, and it's him moving to you. A people called out. So, so why is that important? Because right here, right here, the Apostle Paul sets the stage, sets, sets the import that, that the church is a called out people, that they're the elect, the gathering, the church, and that salvation, as we begin to read through this, begins with God. Um, in fact, later on in 2 Thessalonians, he, the Apostle Paul writes that God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation. In, in John 15, 16, John writes, you have not chosen me. This is, what, this is what Jesus there encountered, but I have chosen you. The idea that you didn't just stumble upon God and his salvation and his mercy, but he is active in your life and moving to pursue you. Amen? Amen. A people called out. So the entire plan of salvation was born in God's heart, and it was his moving, and it was his idea, and it was his working it out through. This is really important that you would recognize, I have been chosen. For God so loved. I have been chosen for God so loved. If that translates to being an elect, it could very well settle some thoughts and ideas of identity even in your own heart and mind. How does this play out? Because when we recognize that we've been chosen, all of a sudden, the idea of our value begins to rise. All of a sudden, we begin to see, wow, me? You chose me? Ah, you, you, your love came, the revelation of your kindness and love and your mercy abounds to me. I, I know who I am. I'm with myself in my head. And, and I'm not saying that we all are these treacherous, murderous, action-filled people like that. But in our own heart, we know what we're capable of, Right? We know, we know, even if we don't act on it, the very idea that we have to wrestle with some of that stuff towards people, or maybe we did do a few things and we recognize, oh, man, I, I see that and I don't want to be that. Thank you, God. Or maybe we were those people that acted on all of those things. And we recognize by that, it's a sign, I need a Savior. There was one who said... There's forgiveness available. There, there, my heart is pouring. I'm, I'm a renewer. I'm a restorer. I'm one who comes. 
Not only to forgive, but, but to change your life, the very course of your life. So, so this is the Apostle Paul writing that even in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, he says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. In fact, this letter comes several years later from what he writes to this church in in Thessalonica. The idea and setting the foundation. Now remember, this would have been the first time on paper that the early church would have gotten a hold of any of these principles. Any on paper that we know of that's recorded. Here, right here, that, that, that the early church would have been reading this letter from the Apostle Paul, being like, oh, wow, grace to you and peace. We thank you, Jesus, because our gospel came. Wow. Oh, whoa, whoa. And, and think about the importance of this. If you were the one, the recipient of this, you would have been reading. And then as you began meditating and mulling over, well, the Apostle Paul said this. We weren't chosen. He chose us. Whoa! All of a sudden, more depth of understanding to what it is that we read, what it is we've heard. It's like puzzles getting put together, even in our own life. Okay, Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing. So, and salvation involves God's love. 1 Thessalonians 1.4, what we just read, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Here's why that's important. Because so often in church, especially if you can, you're on the fringe edges of grace or the idea of mercy, or you judge your life based on your own merits and not just on the idea that it's God who gives freely and graciously and made a way and was merciful to you. Okay, so, so, so right here Paul is saying that it's him who initiated. So for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, great. That's a beautiful verse. We begin to unpack that a little bit, that it's all about God, all about him at work, all about his grace and mercy. But we can't stop at that because the next thought is, The next thought is, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It's a supporting thought to the idea that God's desire is that all people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's a supporting thought that that it's God's desire that all people would encounter his love. Think about this a minute. All people. Well... Not to get too specific or very open, but man, it's been a journey the last several weeks, I'll say that. An idea and a working through of what it means to to love people and what it means to show and display mercy and grace and Um, I'm not sure that I have it all together or even have even just the sliver of what that even means in light of the gospel to me. But when I read this and when I think about the grace and the mercy that's been given to me, it does something to me about how I respond to others. And at times I wrestle, probably like many of you, with the idea of when, when... 
when and how do I draw lines and, and where do I put barriers and boundaries and, and how do you walk through this because when I see the grace of God pour towards me and when I see and read in scripture, it arrests something in me. Like maybe a little more. Just a little more. Just maybe a little more. Maybe just forgive that and continue. And you know, the grace of God, his wisdom pour out. We have to rely on Holy Spirit lead us, amen? But here should affect and have an effect on how we even interact with others because of what we recognize God has done for us. It involves God's love. You see, Paul made mention that, that right here that he, he reminds them that they're, that they're loved and that it reminds them that salvation involves an act of, being, of believing in, a, in this transaction of even having faith in Ephesians 2.8. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. Here's why it's, we get a hold of this idea that it's a gift and that it was God who even gave us the measure of faith to be open to it. We begin to understand that it, that it builds, that it's not by our own merits. This is really important because if you're a good person, it's really easy to rely on the fact that you're a good person. Huh? Come on, somebody. Let's be real. It's really easy to sit back and say, well, today was a good day. I did good. I earned something. This, this, this month, this year, it's been, it's been a good, I'm, I'm a good person. It's been good. Everything I've built, huh, it's been good. My own efforts, I, but, 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 but it's not just that. That's merely a response to something, and our response is to the grace of God. It's God moving in and through us and giving the ability and the, and the opportunity to, to respond to him in and through our lives to do those things. And when we always keep that in good tension and good reminder and good and let the praise flow to God and let, the, let everything else work out, we begin to find right balance in our lives, right? So Paul is writing and setting the stage, church, Beloved church, God loves you, held, held in, in great esteem, beloved, here is the deal. He begins to introduce the idea of the Trinity right here, the first letter that's written to the early church, Father God, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Lord knew what he was doing. The Lord, right from the get-go, was going to introduce, this is who I am. In, in this letter, was to the Jews who were gathered in, in Thessalonica. There were some Gentiles in the gathering. So, so the Jews would have been aware of the idea of the Godhead and, and how that made up. But, but to the Gentiles that were gathered there, this would have been a very new concept as they were gathered. What is the role? How does this play out? He begins to build on this idea of what it means, who God is. And essentially boiling down some thoughts later on that... God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts, and, and there's a separation there in that he's higher than us, but yet he gives us some insight into this, and I love how, how, how he, he, he lays out that the Holy Spirit came, and the word came in power. The word came in power to the believers because it caused something within them. To not stay the same. 
And then the Holy Spirit also was there, made mention that, that between those two, that right there, that, that, that the Lord was on the move and working and not leaving people the same. That salvation has come to change people's lives. That he writes with, with, with full conviction that, that you heard what you heard. You applied it and began to work it out in your lives. And, and this is why it's important. As believers, have you acted on what you've heard with full conviction? Have you taken the word in its application or when the Holy Spirit has, has pointed out something to you in your life? Have you, have you heard it? And then been, wow, I need to do that. And then made it yours and worked it out. See, the Apostle Paul makes mention that salvation changes lives. Salvation changes lives. You, you, you cannot encounter the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his grace and his mercy, and it just be an addition to the course of your life already. It, it is not an addition to, it is the way. It is a revelation of, okay, well, here's what I've set to do. Father, lead and guide me, and, and maybe you're already on, and, and along the way, it is this, go do this, a yielding of this. Oh, see that way, how you interact? Change that. I, I, I love them. That was not good, or, or, or go do this, or, or stop this. It, it, it isn't always about stopping bad behavior. So often, at least what I've come to see just in my own life, it really is about stepping out in obedience to what he has for you. And a lot of times it plays out like this. Would you just go open your mouth for me to somebody? Obey. Obey. Go, go tell them just how valued they are as a person. Okay? Opportunity passed. Hey, would you go, just go, go offer to pray for them. You see them right there. Okay, opportunity passed. And it's almost like the Lord is, what he's asking from you is obedience and, and salvation comes to, to, to radically alter the course of who you're listening to and what you're following. Amen? Come on, you, you cannot encounter Christ and stay the same. You cannot encounter Christ and stay the same. Jesus came to set his kingdom and show that he's Lord. And Lord is in our lives also. And there's a yielding that has to happen. Don't clap. Don't clap. Right? And that he's writing that this church is a church that is commendable. And this is where I felt like as people of God. You know, oftentimes the Christian life can be, uh, it's just a lot of, just a lot of work. Just application in your own life, dealing with others. Sometimes it's just a struggle, the, the tension of obedience and all that. But right in the midst of that, there's something that gets formed in us as we listen to the Holy Spirit, as we yield our life to the Lord, as we try to make decisions that are in line with what he wants for our life. And, and many of us do what the Lord would have us to do. Many of us. This is not a, a negative. I'm not out to, to give you any sort of, of discipline except to say that when Paul wrote this letter, it was with joy and gratitude and, and they were commendable. Why? Because they received the word when the gospel came to them and then... 
They understood the kind of people who were talking to them. So, so Paul is writing and telling them, thank you. My heart's full. You're beloved. I love you. Why? Because when we came to you in word and power, it was with full conviction. You received it and you, 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 you evaluated us and it did something in you. And this is an interesting conversation that he writes that right from the go. It's not something we like to talk about in church context. And, and, and I believe that there's much conversation that needs to happen here. Because right here in the first letter, Paul addresses what it's like to encounter Jesus. The change that it begins to, to, to work in us. And the response that we have to people who give us that word. Or who bring the gospel. And I just want to I just want to boil it down. First Thessalonians 1 6, he says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Paul is acknowledging that right in this central hub of this city, there was many influences. Many temples, many gods, many, many pagan worshipers that, that right here as people begin to hear the gospel and they responded, they were expelled from the community that they were in and they were given too much affliction and persecution just to be able to gather. Paul's responding to say, I understand that, that it costs you a lot, but you still hung on. You didn't give up. And you followed us and imitated us. This word actually means that the people became imitators of Paul or those who preached to them. Think about this. In our day and age, I believe that in the New Testament church, we as a people of God are free. We're free. We're free people to be led by the Holy Spirit. To, to, be, to be used, to, to follow the Bible and, and, and all that we see in it. And that, and that, that is of first and of preeminent. But, but secondarily, that, that there are people who are placed in our lives to mentor and to speak into our lives. And you could call them leaders. You could even call pastors leaders. But, but here's the tension here, okay? When we see this idea of the Apostle Paul coming and setting up the church and of, and of preaching the gospel and, and the first thing and, and of setting the way. And then the people's response in imitating them, it wasn't because Paul had to tell them, hey, you imitate me. You do exactly what I've told you to do. It was because they were so uh, in the spirit of joy and of grace and mercy they understood what they had just received, and with gladness, they said, the message that you brought to us, we want more of that. So, can I get close to you? Can I hang with you? Can I, can I see what you're doing? Oh, and then it becomes this like, wow, how, how did that revelation, I, I, want to, I want to understand more. And how many of you know that if you want to know more about somebody, then you're going to spend more time with them, right? I'm just on a practical. And that means that you're going to, oh, you're taking, okay, I'll go, I'll go meet with you, spend time. And pretty soon it's like, yeah, that's a nice jacket. Hey, give me a jacket just like that. Different color. You know, or you begin to, you begin all of a sudden, it's like, it's just the natural rhythm. All of a sudden you're noticing, wow, they're eating a certain way. That's, hey, it's done them well. I'm going to start eating that way, you know, and, and all of a sudden, right? Come on, I'm not the only one. 
Yeah, I could scroll Facebook and I could name, oh, oh, they look like that. Oh, they bought into that. They bought, oh, I wonder what's going on. It's just human, the human condition. They're just showing that this is how they responded in gladness. They became imitators of Paul. They became imitators of those who brought the good word. They held in high esteem those who sowed and poured into their life. And this is what I want to encourage you, maybe even challenge you with. Do you esteem those who pour, pour into your life or are willing to spend time with you to help mentor you in the way of God? I think as believers that we should put more effort into esteeming those who have spent time mentoring us. And, I, and I'm talking, you know, this is the way, this is actually a, a Titus principle that, that if you're here and you're older than the people that you're mentoring, you know, that the older women would mentor the younger women, that the older men would mentor the younger men, that there's this, this, this relationship that would, that would go back and forth and we would honor and esteem those who would give us the good word, that we would be people who do that and practice that. We see that it brought much blessing to the Apostle Paul that the church as it was gathered, that was their response to him. But what I'm not saying is I am not saying that, that people who are in any positions with any title, pastors, or any other such thing would lord it over people and demand from them any sort of following or way or behavior toward them. That's not what I see in this letter. What I see in this letter is people who went to labor in that city and because of their labors, and because of their heart, and because of their willingness to also endure affliction and persecution and give the gospel, that the response to the people who, were, who heard it and were local were, wow, we love those people. And so, so I see this, this right balance of, okay, and I would simply wrap that up and say, be imitators of those who display to you godly character, and are willing to speak into your life truth because they love you. Amen? Amen. And then he writes, and you became imitators, okay? They suffered for the gospel. Now, he, now here's one. Paul writes that as they suffered for the gospel, it was with much joy in the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that, that joy is not always the first thing we think about when we're enduring affliction? That joy isn't the first thing that we try to tap into with, I can tell you probably in my own life, you'd have to ask the people around me, but, but probably in my own life, the idea of walking in joy when it gets hard is, I don't know if it's my first disposition, you know? Maybe it's that I'm, I'm going to tell you, or maybe that it's, you know, I'm going to make a list, or maybe I might even be a complainer. However, right here, the Apostle Paul writes that they were marked with joy of the Holy Spirit during their affliction. What are, what are some ways that we can be reminded? Well, we can be reminded that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We can be reminded, especially taking up an attitude and an opportunity to regularly immerse and think about even what the writers of old wrote in the Psalms and in the Proverbs about who God was and how he worked, that it would remind us of the ways of God, and of an opportunity to see him in a different light and say, Lord, okay, have your way. That, that even in the midst of everything that they endured, they had joy. 
because they knew that what they were going through in the moment wasn't the end. And many times as believers, we need to keep first things first. That right here in this present day is not the end. That there is more to come. Maybe not here if it is the end. But there's more to come. And that is that one day we'll be reunited with Christ. United with Christ. Amen? Amen. Some people are like, uh, right? I mean, this is like heavenly perspective. This is about, as, as the Apostle Paul writes, he's laying out, lift your eyes, lift your eyes. You've done a good job of being able to see that one day Jesus is returning. One day there is more than just here that you see. He writes in his very first letter, to the church. He also writes that they encouraged other churches so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and in China. I love this because I feel like at Grace Harvest Church, we try, but I can tell you, God wants to do more. I feel like we go to encourage places like the Philippines and, and in Zimbabwe. I know that we've been a great encouragement there, but God wants to do more. Pastor Doug travels to other churches and, 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 and goes to encourage them, but God wants to do more. How does he want to do more? Through you. Through you. Through people who love God, are willing to listen to him, and obey when he asks them to do something. And for many of you, there's a stirring inside of you. If you want to do something, it's simply step out, make the first step, an act of obedience. You, 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 you do not need, you don't need permission from Grace Harvest Church, to share the gospel with somebody. You don't need permission from Grace Harvest Church to step out and to say, you know what, let's just gather and let's talk about God. Have a Bible study. Have a prayer group. God wants to use you as people of God. Amen? Amen. And so, so he writes that here they are. They were an enthusiastic people, for not only was the word uh, of the Lord sounded from them, over to the other place, but it went everywhere so that the Apostle Paul need not say anything. I love this, that the Apostle writes, wow, you took this so enthusiastically that we don't need to say anything. You are moving. So the word of God came to the people in Thessalonica, and they responded with, oh, I'm going to tell my neighbors. I'm going to tell the people who are coming around. I'm going to go tell everyone around that as the Apostle Paul looked over, it was like, Wow. This church is really gung-ho with the gospel. I want to encourage us. A great example. The Lord wants to move in and through your life. And should you think that you're not ready, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, and you have said, set your life toward him, it doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean you won't struggle. It doesn't mean that, you know, you've got everything locked down. But it simply means that you are, you are yielding. You're ready. You're ready. You're ready and capable to say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Let me tell you about what's happened to me. I know I don't have it all together. I don't have it all sewed up, and I still rustle. And you can be honest with that. You let the Lord lead you. Because I guarantee you, if you take the opportunity to be obedient, somewhere, someday, you're going to strike a chord in somebody's life. And they're going to hear a sound that they maybe have never heard before which is a sound of hope, a sound of grace, a sound of goodness that's going to ring in them. And you're going you're gonna, to, as you begin to talk, they're going to be, oh man, I got, I'm looking at you, man, I am this. 
And then you better be ready because the gospel is good news. Amen? Amen. So they were enthusiastic people. They worked. They were, they were also people that were expectant. They, they reported, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serving the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. You see, right from the beginning, there was this idea that Jesus Christ was returning again. In fact, that's what Jesus said. And so this was told to people, and, and, and it was relayed. And so right from the early church, they weren't just living for the now, but they were also understanding that one day he is coming back. One day Jesus Christ is returning. This is significant because as people today, as believers today, we need to set our sights on something far more than who we are and how we currently live today. That I believe that it is, we need to interject the thought regularly about the idea, Jesus Christ is returning again. We have a hope. We have an expectation. We're not simply living for the now, although we have much to do in the now. But Jesus Christ is coming again. It's a lingo that I think is, well, quite frankly, not used very much. And it seems foreign sometimes when you hear Christians say it. Oh, Jesus is returning. What? Yeah. Oh, yes, he is. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, he is. But he is. He's returning again. It's very important. I want to tell you that there's a God who loves you. And he's out for you. 